Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the On the Forecheck podcast. I'm Nick Morgan from On the Forecheck. I am joined, as always, by the tomato soup to my grilled cheese sandwich, Sean C. Smith. Sean. I don't I don't get to be the grilled cheese. Like, grilled cheese is clearly the star of that show, right? I don't know. It depends on how good your tomato soup is. I mean... I don't know, like, I never really say, like, I'm going to go have some tomato soup. I'm like, I'm going to get a grilled cheese. And then some maniac will be like, hey, we've got tomato soup with grilled cheese. Like, you got to have the grilled cheese to make the tomato soup okay. I don't know. I feel like that's, they come in pairs. I don't know. I feel like what you're saying is, you're not good enough without me. And that's fine. That hurts my feelings, though, Nick. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Are you the Dante Fabro to my Roman Yossi? Let's just start the show, man. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, well, hey, Sean, let me ask you a question. Did you uh, did you take the family to an amusement park this weekend? This weekend? Yeah. No. no. Well, it certainly feels like we've all been on a roller coaster after these past two Preds games, hasn't it? It sure does. Uh, what oh my it's, goodness! Yeah, it's it's been a weird weekend for the Nashville Predators. Um, after the Saturday loss to Winnipeg, I was Ooh. ready to go hellfire and brimstone on just about everybody in the organization. Wow, uh, that was yeah, that was maybe one of the worst game. I mean, credit to them for bouncing back twice, I guess, to make it four three at one point, but. Yeah, that was maybe the worst Predators game I've seen in a hot minute. And then, lo and behold, the next night against the undefeated Minnesota Wild, a game that we kind of went in thinking, oh, God, this is going to be awful. What happens? They wind up playing maybe their best game of the season. So You you were surprised? You were surprised by that? You didn't expect that to happen? I mean, after, I guess, covering this team for three years, every time I think they're going to knock it out of the park, they lay a stinker. And every time I'm like, oh, dear God, this is going to be a bloodbath, they come out and lay six goals down. Well, I want to tell you that's why they legalize gambling in Tennessee is for guys like you. I don't think I can make a career out of that. <laughs> no, but I'm, going to t- I'm not surprised that the Predators won that game. And I'm going to tell you why. What is – or. Who's the Wild composed of right now? Who's on that team? Uh, 90% former Predators. So it was guys that weren't good enough for the Predators? Okay. So what do we have with the Predators? Guys that are good enough for the Predators. And therefore, inherently better. I expected the W and they got the W. And in a commanding fashion. I don't know if the Predators have Carl Kaprizov, though. We don't need him. Don't need him. We got, we, got, we have Tanner Janot. We got Tanner Janot. We got Phil Tomasino. We're going to be just fine. Now, listen, it's interesting. It's interesting to me that you bring this up, and I'm going to tell you why. I don't know what it is about you, Nick, and a lot of people in the fan base that seem to get worked up really, really quickly over a win or a loss. You know there's 82 games in the season. Right. I mean, why why are we panicking after just a few games? Well, it's it's not that. I think it was just a and look, we kind of talked about this last week where just everything 
was going to be under a microscope a little bit more this season. And my frustrations after that Winnipeg game wasn't just the Winnipeg game. I mean, granted, that was like maybe the worst Predators game I've seen this year. Um, certainly dating back to towards the end of last season. Um, but for me, it was just kind of a continuation of, of frustrations that have kind of been boiling over the first couple of weeks where weird lineup decisions were happening, uh, especially on defense. Uh, you know, the, the analogy I used was the Simpsons episode where Bart is the front desk person at the burlesque house and mm. grandpa Simpson walks in whistling, hangs his hat <laughs> up, sees Bart and then like whistles again and grabs his hat and walks out just as fast as he came in. That's the line blender for the Nashville predators this season. It seems like. That's that's become a really popular gif. I'm really excited that you brought that up. But, uh, you know, look, uh, how many games have the Predators played so far? I can't do math, but not that many. Six games, right? Is it six? It sounds good to me. Okay, look, six games, two wins, four losses. And we're talking about the line blender. And, and I don't know, like, you ever make chili? I love chili. You ever make your own chili? Absolutely. Slow cooker, baby. Okay. The first time you made chili, did you get it exactly right? Yes. Oh. Because I used my mom's recipe. Okay. Do you... All right. Okay. So 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 you're you're saying John Hines should call his mom and see what she should do. You're not playing fair here. You're using recipes. I I get the analogy you're going with. Yes. Okay. But what I'm saying is you're, you're going to have to adjust and you've got to make adjustments. You got to see what's working, what's not working. You know, one time you make the chili, it's too spicy. And you're like, well, I better not put in as much spice. And you end up making it too sweet because there's not enough spice to counterbalance. So next time you got to take out some of the sweetness, put back a little bit more of the heatness, and then you're going to get something you like. But it, it's going to take some time. And I don't see a line blender as is happening. You know, the first 10 games, Talk to me at game 15 if we're still doing this, and then then we'll have we'll revisit the whole conversation. But I'm not particularly worried about it right now. I think it's yeah, going mean, to be fine. I mean, look, if this is like kind of the Bill Belichick thing from the Patriots where, you know, he kind of jokingly said like weeks one, two, and three were kind of a continuation of the preseason. He was just trying to figure out which guys played best with Tom Brady, and that's why he saw like a bunch of people in and out of the lineup. That's fine. But at the same time, I'm not sure you can evaluate where your team is currently uh, when you're not getting good looks at how certain players play together. Mm. And I, I think it's it's a difference of opinion. Like, I get what you're saying. Like, it's it's early. You're testing a lot of different things. You have 76 games left in the season. I, I do get that. My thing is I would have liked to see, you know, a continuation of, let me put it this way. I think you would want to do like write down what you think would be like the, the ideal lineup for the Nashville Predators. And I would think you would want to try that ideal lineup for at least a couple of games. And by your logic, like, you know, if it's, if it's still early in the season and we're not going to panic after a few games, 
then, you know, if you try this ideal lineup for four or five games and it doesn't work, then then guess what? It doesn't work. But I think my, found- my thing is like, you know, for Philip Myers bouncing in and out of the lineup or, you know, to a lesser extent, C- Cody Glass going down to Milwaukee, although we, we talked about that last week and how we thought it might be a good thing. I just, for me, it's, I don't see how you can evaluate certain players when you're not really giving them a consistent look. I, I kind of see what you're saying, but I, I'm going to go back to the whole thing about Chile. Number one, because I think it works. Number two, I'm starting to want some chili. Um, you know, so if you make chili one way the first time and everyone's like, oh, it's a little bit too, uh, a little too salty, you're going to be like, well, I'm going to make it this way five more times and uh, you'll just get used to it. And that's what you'll expect every time and everyone will love it. Is that what you're saying? That is what I'm saying. Okay. I was Question. just making sure we were clear. Question. Sure. Uh, do you like grilled cheese with your chili? Or is a chili uh, kind of a not its own thing? So here's the thing with chili, and I think I'm gonna. There's gonna be some uh, probably some pushback on this, but Uh-oh. when I was in college, I'm gonna tell you the cafeteria had the best chili, and and what you would do is you'd go to the place where they had chili, right? And you'd say, just fill the bowl halfway up. Now follow along here. Then you'd go to where they had the corn chips, the Fritos, if you will. You would put them on top of the chili. You would add cheese and sour cream. And then you'd go back to where they had the chili and say, top me off. Yeah. And then by the time you got to your seat, you just stirred it up. Everything was just mixed together really nice. It was one of the most delicious and delightful things I've ever had in my life. That's how you eat chili. It does sound delicious. Well, Sean, speaking of chili, we had some stars on a cold streak to start the season. Whoa. But that all changed against that Minnesota game. Sure did. I guess against Minnesota, not against the Minnesota, but, you know, to each their own. Uh, Ryan Johansson with two goals in this one. Uh, Philip Forsberg, who hadn't scored or hadn't registered a point since his three-point night in the opening season mm. uh, came back with a couple of points. Mm. Uh, Matt Duchesne has looked pretty good the past couple of games. So I guess the good news is in these last two contests, the Predators are getting contributions from their big guns. Well, that's that's exactly what you want to see, right? Didn't we talk about this before with the uh, it wasn't the it wasn't the top line against Minnesota, but it they were the top you know three players that we discussed were Forsberg, Johansson, and Duchesne. You you saw those guys come alive against the Wild. What, what do you think? What do you did it seem like specifically Johansson was playing with some extra fire? For sure. What do you think? Just I don't know. Why do you think that was? I'm just curious because I'll tell yeah. you what Hines said, which I thought was interesting. But go for it. Uh, Hines said that he felt, he said that first off, they all spoke before they went on this trip that they felt like getting the opportunity to go on this trip and to have that time where they were all just kind of, I don't want to say stuck together, but where they kind of had a lot of other distractions removed where it was just the guys on the trip, that that would give them an opportunity to grow closer to a more family-like atmosphere. 
And he then said after the game that they had some kind of meeting where they all kind of agreed that there is a certain level to which they needed to play and that everybody was on board with it. So I feel like there's there's magic to a road trip, especially when road trips were so weird last season that and especially to the limited number of places that they were going, that you really had an opportunity for this team for the first time to come together and get really solidified as a group. Now that you're out of camps and now that you're away from family and it's really just the guys on the road. Um, and, and two, I mean, I think it helps that you're playing against, you know, like at least two lines worth of former teammates, right? Right. That's got to be something. It's got to stand for something. But I, I feel like that's that's a big part of it is, you know, there's there's the things we see and the things we hear about the, you know, we've got the practices, we've got the, the games, but then there's the things we don't know about. And that's not that I, wa- I want to know what happens, but it's like <laughs> all of those things where, you know, they're just spending time and they're getting to know each other because they're all kind of stuck together. And I mean, I think if you've ever been in a social situation, you know, with people from, say, work, that you suddenly realize a whole new depth to that person. Uh, you, you maybe develop a deeper level of friendship, and it makes you, at least in the case of a hockey team, play harder for that person. Yeah, I mean, we heard a lot of stories last year about some of the things people missed on the road trip. You know, uh, they always had, like, team activities that they would plan if they got there the night before. Um, you know, guys like gathering each other's hotel rooms to play video games or cards or, you know, even just kind of gathering all in the same area for like a team breakfast or, or team meal before the game. There's a lot of little things like that that you missed during their return to play two seasons ago. And then yeah. obviously the whole COVID situation last year, you know, you, you did hear a lot of teams, not just the Predators, but around the league speak out about how it felt like, you know, they lost some of that team bonding. And, you know, I think I think you do have a good point. I think this is the first quote unquote normal road trip that the Predators have taken since the pandemic started. And yeah. it, it couldn't have come at a it couldn't have come at a better time for Nashville because I do think, you know, I, I do think there is some external pressure on this roster right now, maybe some internal from, you know, up above, obviously, you know, David Poyle and company are going to be watching this closely from rebuild, but I mean, God, Sean, listen to sports talk radio or go on Twitter. I mean, this is a fan base who is very restless, very patient. And, you know, you hear hockey players say, Oh, well, we're going to block out all the noise and stuff like that. That is not, what happens? I no. mean, let's let's not be naive. You know, hockey players do hear some of the talk, some of the chatter. You know, they're not scrolling Twitter for hate tweets every night. Well, let's okay. let's not think about that. But you know, I, I do think they hear some of the noise. And like as you mentioned, I think a trip like this kind of puts things in perspective. It allows you to kind of disconnect from you know, I, I guess a a day-to-day routine and, and sort of just enjoy the moment of being out and about playing hockey with some of your buddies. Yeah. Well, in two, you've got to think about it this way. There's, there's a big, you know, you think about, and I don't want to jump to this other example yet, but think about this. Okay. Think about what Eckholm said after, after he signed, 
he said that in the middle of all those rumors last season, when everyone's saying, like, I'm just keeping my head down and playing hockey. But then after the fact, when the ink's drying on the paper, you're going to say immediately, I went to David Poyle's office and I said, so are you going to trade me or is that just talk? And he's like, oh, that's just talk. Don't worry about it. You know, clearly they hear it. Clearly they don't tune it out. And you think about that's just stuff on Twitter. Think about what's happening in Chicago right now with the Blackhawks. Oh, dear God. Food off the ice. That's huge. That's a huge example of you can't tune that out. They're, they're not tuning it out and putting their heads down and playing hockey. They're getting booed off the ice every night. They can't tune that out. They don't go back to the locker room and just act like everything's fine. No. There's got to be some major stuff going on behind closed doors. God, that Chicago situation is uh, is a thing of its own. And oh, the worst. That's going to be a case study. Well, uh, the, the Predators are back home. Uh, tonight, by the way, they play the Sharks, who are four and one. Although I would say that four and one record is probably slightly higher than the Sharks' actual talent at the moment. Um, so that it should be interesting. No, I don't mean that as a bad thing. I mean they're oh a very kind of thin team at the moment. They've got something we don't have, Nick Benino. Yeah, think about that. So by by logic from the Minnesota series, whenever Benino's on the ice, Ryan Johansson should be ready for a hat trick. Um, yeah, I think so. Well, you know, it's it's funny though. I'll say this, and I I, I bring up Nick Benino for a specific reason. And I, I've I said before, he's one of the first guys that I talked to from the team when I started covering the team several years ago, and it was it was right after he got picked up in free agency. And so he hadn't really been on the ice more than a few times with, with any of the players in Nashville. And remember, they had just played against each other in the uh, Stanley Cup Finals. He just had his leg shattered by P.K. Subban. And so he had just healed up from all that in the offseason. And uh, it was interesting. One of the things he talked about when they went up against the Penguins for the first time, of course, if, if you recall, they uh, came and they brought him his uh, Stanley Cup championship ring um, you know, down to a separate place in the locker room, like, oh yeah, we got to give you this thing. Uh, sorry. <laughs> and, uh, but they, they asked him, you know, you're getting a chance to play against your former team. Is there anybody you kind of want to go after? And he's like, yeah, I'd really like to make a run at Phil Kessel. So I think there's definitely something to Nick Benino. Um, he's a fierce, fierce competitor. And so I guarantee you there's going to be somebody on this team he's ready to go up against. And I, I think it'll show pretty quickly who it is. So, you know, and I don't know who it is. I haven't heard them ask. I haven't been paying attention to their to their media feed or anything. But I'm curious if anybody's asked him because he's he played for the uh, Minnesota Wild the entirety of last season, and they never played played the Predators. So, you know, this is the first chance that he's going to see his former team after he's been on a whole spent a whole season with an entirely different team as well. So, um you know, I don't know if there's any bad blood. I don't really. I think he was a guy that got along with everybody in the locker room. But surely the competitor in him says, "I got to go hard on somebody." And I'm very curious to see who that is. We'll see if he just does a flying Superman punch at Yakov Trenin or somebody. <laughs> that would be a bad choice. <laughs> uh, I kind of wish. I kind of want Benino just find like the most random player on the Predators roster now and just light him up. Like you can see him like going through the lineup card and be like, who would I go after that makes zero sense whatsoever? It'd be a very Nick Benino move. There you go. Just flying tackle on Tommy Novak. Speaking of chili, 
Listen, <laughs> one of my, my other favorite Nick Benino story was uh, was back when we were still able to go down to the locker room and talk to the team. And um, sometimes there's kind of a wait outside of the uh, outside of the locker room itself. And uh, this this was a ways back, and there was like a food cart kind of set out for the guys. And you know, I, I guess I don't know, like maybe there's food available after the game if they're interested. But I remember we were all waiting and we were facing the, the entrance of the locker room, all the media people. And I turned around and was looking the other direction. And, I, and I'm and i looking at that food cart because I was curious what was in it. And uh, I see Nick Benino peek his head out the door and he, he looks <laughs> at the food and he comes out and he pulls up the, uh, the top and he sees it's chili. And he goes, ooh, his face just lights up like yes. <laughs> And so he, he starts looking around and he grabs a bowl and just, just fills it up with chili and then runs back into wherever he was. And I just imagine like Nick Benino needs his post game chili or <laughs> Nick Benino is not happy. Yes. I don't know why that that's the image that sticks with me. So it's like uh like mean Joe green getting the <laughs> Coca-Cola yeah. from the little kid in the locker room. You know, hey, Nick Benino. You see, like runners losing like seven to one to Colorado or something, and Benino's just angrily walking back in the tunnel, and all of a sudden, oh, chilly. chilly. He just skips, oh. skips away. Yeah, just happy as can be with with toppings and all on it. Yep, just just piled high. Yes. Oh man. Uh, you know, we mentioned Tommy Novak, the guy that Nick Benino maybe make a run at if he feels frisky. Uh, that brings us to the youth because Mr. Tommy Novak uh, had himself a game Saturday yeah. night, three assists. Yep. Um, Sean, all the youth has been doing pretty well the past couple of games. Yeah. Um, you know, Philip Tomasino, a two point night. Um, I thought, uh, you know, un- unfortunately, Ellie Tolvin went down with an injury, which we should know a little bit more today about the extent of that. But yeah. You know, you also have Tanner Janot with another big goal, doing his best Barry Bonds impression. That was, that was an running it out goal. of midair. I actually, I actually stood up in my living room and swore out loud in front of my family. That's how excited I was. Man, I hope the kids <sighs> were not present. No, they did happen to not be in the room, and I think that's why I let one slip. Gotcha. That's. I feel like otherwise you would be grounded by the wife right now. Probably. Yeah. But, Sean, I think that is an encouraging sign um, that the youth seem to be getting, um, I guess you would call it limited minutes this season. But I think the important thing is they're looking productive when they're on the ice. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, and, you know, I was, I, you know, we both discussed – and pretty good detail that, you know, we we were not super, super jazzed about Cody Glass going to the AHL. But while we said we did understand that it may be what's best for him, we were curious to see, you know, whether or not Novak was going to get to play. And I was quite surprised that he's been playing as much as he has. And I've been even, I don't like to use the word surprised. It, it makes it sound like I wasn't expecting him to do well. Tommy Novak is an incredible center. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, Rachel over at, with us at On the Forecheck um, turned me on to him a while back saying that she was a really big fan, started paying a lot more attention. And I feel like he was such an under-the-radar guy 
last season throughout the whole, you know, taxi squad thing that, you know, it's, you hear this name, well, who is this guy? Well, he comes up and he's playing really well. Um, I'm pretty jazzed up about that. And it was kind of, you know, for, I think for a lot of people, they're like, who is this? I at least knew the name. I knew that I could expect good things, but that doesn't always mean it's going to happen immediately, but it seems like he's jumped out. He's getting comfortable on the ice. He's getting comfortable with his line mates and he's putting on a show out there. Yeah. It was kind of a late bloomer in Minnesota. Um, and he was a predators draft pick back in 2015. Um, and I think a lot of people just kind of forgot about him uh, just because he was one of those guys where he spent all four years in college. Yeah. And what's that? I, I think, yeah, I think a lot of players or a lot of fans who go to prospects, they're like, Oh, well, you know, if he's, spending all four years in college and he's kind of a, you know, a midline guy, then he's not going to develop into a top line NHLer. Right. Um, but he has really come out of his shell and, you know, he's one of those guys where kind of like Alexander Carrier last year, you know, it just shows you that, you know, sometimes players need a little bit more time to ripen than others. And, um, you know, it's pretty incredible that he was kind of a Florida Everblades guy not too long ago, and yeah. now he's you know had a great season for the Chicago Wolves last year. Had a you know good start with the Admirals this year. He had three assists in his one game for Milwaukee. Yeah, so he's a yeah. I mean, I feel like when you're talking about you know future players to kind of build around, not a lot of people were talking about Novak. Um, obviously, there's a few flaws in this game here and there, but you know, he's still 24 has a lot to work on, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's a piece. Yeah. It, it, you know, while we're talking about the youth too, I feel like we've spent a lot of time, not, not just you and I, but I mean, the, uh, uh, the media world and the fan base in general focused on the forwards, but I've got to say, I'm really impressed with Alex Carrier and the performance yes. he's been turning in on a nightly basis. I'm, I'm really, I mean, I've, I've liked him for a long time. I've been a big proponent of him coming up and getting minutes and he's getting them and quite often on the, the first pair and he's doing a great job. It's exactly what I want to see out of him. Yeah. I mean, this is a giant Testament to your boy, Carl Taylor. Yes. Big and time. That's, yeah. I mean, I think for the predators, the fact that, you know, yeah, they have Philip Tomasino and, um, you know, Dante Fabro is a high draft pick and you got Yaroslav Askarov waiting in the rings. But the fact that a lot of these quote unquote random players like a Yakov Trenin or Tanner Janot, um, you know, a Carrier last year and, and a Novak this year, the fact that there's kind of so many of these, you know, afterthought type guys who are developing into strong NHL players and you know they're all young we're not going to induct them into the hall of fame or anything or put them on a first round ballot or anything but they look like they can develop into strong contributors and the fact that there are so many of those is a strong testament to kind of the way the predators have rebuilt their pipeline well it's definitely at least you know when you look at it as an overall, you know, pipeline, as opposed to just say a, a defense defenseman factory, it's uh, come a long way. And I, I would say, you know, a lot of that's smart drafting, but I think too, 
you know, I, I have this theory on Carrier and I, I remember him being very hyped um, at first and I kept expecting to, for him to be the next call up and I kept expecting him to be the next name to appear on the roster and it, it quite often got passed over. And then Carl Taylor gets hired in Milwaukee and you see Carrier kind of have this meteoric rise to where he seems to be the next man up every time. Um, especially with the taxi squad. And then, you know, this season, all of a sudden there he is. And I think, you know, you called Carl Taylor, my boy, and I'll, I will take that because I think Carl Taylor has a knack and I can, I can describe what it is in much more detail, but I think I've done that before on this podcast and in writing, but he has a knack for meeting a player where they are and then turning them into the player they need to be in order to stick at the NHL level. I don't know how many teams have that in an AHL coach. No, not at all. I think that's we have given the Predators a lot of grief over the the past decade or so about their drafting ability and their their inability to kind of develop high end players. So I think it's only fair that we give credit to the pipeline now that they're able to kind of turn out some of these diamonds in the rough and. You know, maybe they're not going to, maybe some of them are going to develop into, you know, top line guys or, or anything like that. But, you know, the fact that you're kind of able to take, and I'm not, not sure like the best word for them, like, you know, overlooked, underrated, you know, whichever word you want to choose, the fact that you're able to take so many of those guys and turn them into NHL players uh, I think we do need to give credit for that. Yeah, I'd, I'd say mid mid round picks would be a good way to describe it. You know, or these case, these aren't what I was going to say. In the case of some, just undrafted. Well, true. There's definitely definitely a few stories like that on this team, uh, especially looking at Tanner Janot. And I think you know, there's so much emphasis on getting the number one pick in the draft or who your first round draft pick is. And if you, if you look at a lot of guys around the league, not just on the predators, you see a lot of people who come from those mid rounds and didn't start at 18 years old in the NHL. And they just took a minute to develop and then they show up on the scene and they're fine. And then they shine and, and move on to be, you know, big name guys. And I think it's, it's funny because there's, there is so much emphasis on those first round picks and the number one pick overall and, you know, quite often they're just a lot of hype and then they turn into an average player. They did. And it's something we'll have to watch on. But there is one uh, Predators youth guy in particular that I want to single out. Um, we're going to talk about him in just a second. But first, as we do always, Sean, yeah. we have some trivia before we go to break. Are oh, you good. ready? I'm, I don't know. Well, we're about to find out. Okay. All right, so we're talking about youth and some okay. rookies, right? Yes. So here we go. Who is the only Predators rookie to score a hat trick in his rookie season? The only Predators player to score a hat trick in his rookie season. His rookie season for the Predators. Okay. For the Predators. Okay. Okay. All right, I'm going to give you a second to think about it. Okay. Hold that thought. Okay. Give me an answer after the break. Okay, I'm holding. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. As we went to break, I asked you the question, who is the only Predators rookie to score a hat trick in his rookie season with Nashville? So these are Predators whose rookie season was in Nashville and scored a hat trick in his rookie season. Sean, what do you got for me? Okay, I thought about this a lot over our break, and I've I've come up with the best answer I can give you. And I'm going to say, and I'm pretty sure I'm right, it's Colin Wilson. I'm pretty sure you're wrong. Well, you have the answer, Nick. I How's do. bragging camp going? It is. It's great. Bragging camp is great. Sure uh, it is. You were kind of close. You were the same era. Okay. The answer... Brentwood, Tennessee's own Blake Jeffrian. Oh, he scored three goals for the Predators in the Preds' four-three win against the Buffalo Sabers way back yeah. in March 2011. I was at I was at his first game. I was too. Yeah, we, was we were at the same game. I think we were. But this oh. is way before we knew each other. Yeah, really. Yeah, because I think that was against Columbus. And he did like the whole run out and do the rookie lap thing before everybody else. Yeah, I think so. So you wait, were you like twelve? This was I was in college. Okay. Uh, What happened was actually so I went to Western Kentucky, and uh, my friend had gone to fly to Chicago. And me and my other friend that went to Western Kentucky were driving to Nashville to pick him up from the airport. And I think that was like an afternoon game. And the dude's flight like landed think, at like think you're right. seven o'clock or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, well, screw it. So we got tickets to the Preds game, saw Jeffrey's first game, which I think he had an assist in that one. Um, and then, yeah, the game ended, and then we picked up our friend, went to Loveless Cafe right before it closed, which is the absolute best time to go to Loveless Cafe, either one hour after it opens or one hour before it closes. And, uh, yeah, that was that was my Blake Jeffrey story. Hmm. I'm, oh, trying, to, I'm you... trying to look this up, find his first, uh, find his first game. Not having any luck. I could be totally wrong, and then I just made an ass out of myself for three minutes. No, I think I think you're fine. Right. Um, I was trying to find uh, trying to find his first see his first goal, but not the first. Uh, now we'll figure it out later. No one wants yeah. to hear me. I was going to say this is kind of riveting stuff right now. Yeah, sorry. Um, okay, but you know what? Speaking of youth and rookies and all that. Uh, there is somebody that I really want to highlight this weekend. And, Sean, I think you and I are on the same page yeah. wanting to talk about this guy. And that's yes. Connor Ingram. Yes. Who played his first NHL game in goal Sunday night against the Wild and came out with a beauty of a performance. Uh, 33 saves on 35 shots. 
And uh, yeah, that's his first game and a dominant first win. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think I think what is most impressive to me just about that that game in general, there's a lot more things that I'm impressed with. But about that game in general was that he didn't look nervous at all. And I know as people know, well, you know, he's a professional athlete, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, I don't really care how prepared you are, how, you know, professional you are when it's especially for a goalkeeper. I mean, let's be realistic here. Like that is the biggest responsibility on that ice for your team is stopping those pucks. And, and take this from somebody who who played a couple a couple of seasons as a goalie in little league soccer and a very bad oh, one at that. Just sheer time. massive pressure on a goalkeeper in hockey. And, and I'm going to say he never looked like he was worried about it at all. He looked very cool. He looked very calm. He looked very collected. The whole night. And he, he did say afterwards that a lot of that probably had to do with the fact that they got out to an early lead. It's a lot easier to stop pucks when you had a lead, but it doesn't matter. You're still playing in your first NHL game. And you've been kind of right at that level where you could make that leap for several years now. So I think finally getting the chance to do it and doing it not just, you know, in a backup role, but remember, he's only in Nashville because Riddick is on the COVID list right now. Right. This wasn't yeah. planned out. This was, hey, we need you to come up and, you know, Riddick's going to be out for a while. And then you've got the back-to-back. He gets the start. He gets the win. It's a great story. Yeah, I mean, you, you take as most of your chances. We were talking about this um, on another podcast where, you know, when cameras show, like, close-ups of goalies, they're they're super intense. You know, you see them before the game, and they're kind of in their own zone. Yeah. Um, you know, doing drills or whatever, kind of looking in, in as intense as possible. The cameras, every time they showed Ingram, looked like he was just having the most fun yeah. he's ever had in his life. Smile on his face. Yeah. Like, you, know, you can see like a little smirk under the mask and, you know, just genuinely look like he kind of had like that look in his eyes, like, oh my God, this is, this is awesome. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean that's it's refreshing to see from a goalie because as you said, it's a pressure filled position and he just looked like he was going out there like, you know what, whatever happens tonight, you know, I'm here. It's it's great that I'm here. And, you know, kudos to him because obviously it's it's been a it's been a rough road for him over the past year and a half. Yeah. It's it has been. And you know, I think and I was really glad that that after the game was over and after everybody had had come in and, and congratulated him and everything like that, that he did he did take the moment to reflect on what a journey it has been. It was a year or nine months to the day that he entered the uh, players' assistance program, um, and I, I think it's really you know not everybody enters that volunt. I think they enter it voluntarily, is what they say. But there's some people yeah. who I'm sure are given an ultimatum. Um, with some issues, but with his issue, issues, which were for mental health reasons, and that's as deep into it as anyone really needs to get. Um, you know, I think it's a big thing because we are not too far removed in this day and age from a time when you didn't talk about mental health struggles. You didn't no. bring that up. That was not a, a common topic. It was very taboo to it was something that people made, uh, you know, careless jokes about and something that people um, didn't really bring up 
um, at all without some kind of stigma being attached to them for a long time. Um, and I, I know that I'm a few years older than you are, Nick, but you know, I, I know that at least as, you know, recently as 1997, uh, when I was started, when I started college, it was, nobody talked about it. Right. Especially not at the professional sports level. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the thing about Connor Ingram, I think is a lot of people can mention a, a personal story having to do with mental health um, or, or something like that. They, they relates to them from this day and age, you know, without giving too much away, Sean, I was in an industry, me personally, that, you know, saying you needed a mental health break was a red flag. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people are just like, oh, well, you know, this is just somebody who can't handle the stress of the job. And that was very much a thing in pro sports. And we kind of even saw a glimpse of it this summer with Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles kind of talking about their issues publicly and just the I'm not even going to dignify some of the responses by calling it a debate, but some of the the stuff that followed afterwards. And it is kind of a reminder that, Hey, these are, these are all real people. And I kudos to the predators for, and kudos to some other teams around the league as well for being a little bit more mindful and Mm -hmm. giving them a chance to, come back after a break like this. Yeah. Um, you know, you've, you've seen teams a little bit more lenient being like, you know what, step back, do what you need to do for yourself. Yeah. And then you come back when you're ready. And once you have that vote of support, the players can step up and do a lot of things for you. Just like, you know, if you're in the real world, you know, if you get that mental health break and you see, you know, your employers and your colleagues kind of rallying around you and being like, Hey, whatever you need, man, we got you. It, it relates to hockey and it, it's good to see him being able to come back in the best shape of his life, both physically and mentally. You know, we saw the same thing with Mark Borvietsky and, and him talking about his issues. It, it's, it's good to see. And I'm glad that we are progressing towards an era where, you know, admitting you're you're having some mental health issues or that you need a break is not a death sentence for your career, like you said it used to be. Yeah, you'd be done. They just yeah. write you off. Like, well, we can't can't deal with that. We'll go ahead and pass on this and move on to something else. I think that was fairly commonplace, and I think that's the reason why nobody ever really dealt with it in an appropriate manner. And you had, you had a lot of people, um, like you saw, if came out yesterday with Colin Wilson, you know, um, he had written an article in the Players' Tribune about, well, well, maybe a year and a half ago, about struggling, his mental health struggles, and then came out with another article yesterday talking about how, okay, when I wrote that article 18 months ago, I didn't tell you the whole truth. I was also dealing with a really bad addiction to drugs. And, you know, that's that's an example right there. I don't think you need to look any further than Colin Wilson to see that when you don't deal with mental health struggles appropriately, 
you deal with them in an inappropriate way. Um, and when I say inappropriate, I mean, drug addiction is one thing, but there's, there's other things that can happen too, um, that are much worse. So, um, you know, to see Colin Wilson effectively deal with that and effectively deal with the addiction is, is really inspiring to see Ingram not have to go down the road of addiction and deal with it in a positive manner is really inspiring. And I think that shows, and it's, it's not, I mean, I guess if we're looking at recent history, that seems like those two are pretty far apart. But if you look in the grand scheme of things, that's coming a long way in a short period of time. You know, and the other part, let's, you know, moving away from that and kind of get into the hockey part. Well, it kind of seems like everybody sort of forgot about Connor Ingram, you know, being yeah. in the organization. Um, you know, it wasn't but, you know, a year and a half ago that, a lot of fans were talking about him as maybe the goalie of the future for the Nashville right. Predators. You know, this was, of course, well before the Preds drafted Askarov, well before UC Saros breakout season. Um, yeah. You know, he sort of kind of became, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think the way the team picked him up was, was really uh, nondescript. I mean, he was with the, uh, the Lightning drafted him and, he was with their organization and the Predators were able to get him for a seventh round draft pick. And, yeah. you know, I've, I mean, I can think of other players that were attained for a seventh round draft pick like uh, Cody McLeod. Um, gosh, there were some others too, but you know, I mean, the reality is uh, that's a steal. That's an yeah. absolute steal to, to pull in, a goaltender who can come in and win you games for a seventh round draft pick. That's, I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good deal. And, you know, when that, when that deal was made, I think a lot of people were scratching their heads like, okay, well, why did the organization sour on him in the first place? And they had a lot of questions, but I I remember his first appearance at any predators thing. And it was, uh, I believe it was prospect development camp. And I mean, he showed up, it was, he they had just made the trade. Um, and I think he showed up and like, he was still wearing his Tampa Bay lightning uh, pants and everything on the ice for the, uh, for the rookie de- or the prospect development camp. And he looked great, but I stood right behind the net at Centennial and watched him as closely as I could. And, and he was, he was impressive back then. And so now that I think he's had some more time to get more comfortable uh, at least with the Predators organization at the AHL level, um, he was a he was an AHL All Star. Couple oh, seasons was, back, he was the best goalie you in know, the AHL. A couple just seasons ago, tearing it up, and then you know, uh, went to play overseas. I want to say when the Admirals yeah. said they weren't going to have their season, and then uh, came back, and then entered the uh, entered the program, and you know, I, I think. The fact that there even is a program, I think, is, speaks volumes. But, you know, still, for we're getting all of that out of and trading a seventh round draft pick. I just I got to say that it may have been a gamble at the time because I, I don't know why I'm not even going to speculate. But obviously, when you're willing to get rid of a prospect for a seventh round draft pick, it kind of tells me that organizationally they're kind of over that player. I don't know why. It seems like he has a stellar personality. It seems like he's very resilient. And he seems like he knows what he's doing in the net. So I'm going to say that was a, a well-played deal by Poyle. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if it was much Tampa Bay wanting to get rid of him as much as the Preds wanted him. I mean, 
it's it's a seventh round draft pick for a guy who who's never played in an NHL game and had very little AHL experience. That should tell you how much the Predators valued him. And um, you know, I think we've heard stuff kind of come out since that trade about how the he was high on the Predators draft board when he came out and they just missed him. Um, but it was a good steal. And you know, that kind of takes us to, you know, sort of the conversation you know, you see stuff pop up on Twitter, especially with, you know, Askarov waiting in the wings. And it's like, oh, well, the Predators are just going to have UC Soros as trade bait and, or or they need to trade Askarov or something like that. Let's get one thing clear. There is no such thing as having too many good goalies no. in the NHL. Uh, when the league is so unpredictable and you need depth, it's it's dumb to be like, well, we already have one good goalie. We can we should trade our other good goalie. Yeah. You know, it's I, I think you just need players that can play and players that can play well. And I think when it comes to the goaltending situation in Nashville, you know, Ascroft's not even here yet, and Connor Ingram, even though he's with the team now, is still an AHL goalie. So just just let them develop. Yeah, just let them develop and play. They're going to be fine. Yeah, for sure. I think, especially you know, I mean, how much longer does Askarov have in in the KHL? Does he have another another season after this one, or is this? I feel like he's got a whole other season. When we were talking about, we were talking to our uh, prospects guru Eric Denay about this. He seemed like he thought he was going to be in the KHL at least one more season after this. Yeah. Um, it seems like he's still kind of a spot starter over there. Yeah. He's not really like a full-time guy yet. He's, he's kind of getting, you know, at the very most, like kind of a one B situation. Yeah. And I think that's okay. I think everybody's got to really, you know, pump the brakes on this and realize, I think he's still 19. Yeah. KHL is a pro league. Yeah. The number two league in the world. And I'm I'm gonna say he's gonna keep getting better. I don't think he's gonna get worse. Yeah. Well, so I think let, let's hope not. Let's knock on wood. Well, yeah, I've got some IKEA furniture here I can knock on, but I'm not um, sure if that I'm not sure if that counts. Well, I'll knock on this chair I'm sitting in, part of it's wood. Um yeah. but you know, he's gonna keep getting better if all goes according to plan. I don't think we're wasting his best years away. I think that he's, you know, goalies develop differently. I'm definitely not a goalie expert or a goalie guru, but goalies develop differently. They need time. And so giving him that time and let him have it in the KHL, bring him over, let him have time in the AHL. It's, there's no reason to rush this. There's no reason to rush this kid over here. I think you, you give him enough time, bring him in when it's, when it's time and you're ready to bring him in. And he's going to set the world on fire. Well, Predators are back at home this week. Uh, two home games on this current homestand. Tuesday, tonight, against the San Jose Sharks. Yes. Saturday afternoon yeah. against the New York Islanders, a team a lot of people were kind of picking as a dark horse Stanley Cup team. Uh, Sean, what are some of the keys you're looking for these next couple of games? So I'll say something I noticed um, when the team played against Winnipeg that was really, really unsuccessful was that Winnipeg did a great job of just getting in front of the net whenever the Predators were in the offensive zone and just forcing all of their playmaking and setups 
just to the outside and back to the blue line. And it made it really tough for them to get up and make things happen up close. And I, I was hoping to see a, a change or a shift in what the Predators were doing by trying to get on the inside of the ice and dominate when they played against the Wild. And that's exactly what you saw. You saw a lot of net front activity. You saw a lot of guys up there in that crease. And so I think that as long as they're able to establish that same thing on the ice over these next two games, you're going to start seeing the scoring open up. Because if there's one thing we've learned about this team over the years, it's that firing in shots from the blue line is not as effective as it used to be. And so getting guys up close is going to be the biggest thing they need to do. You know, for me, my key is capitalizing on other teams' mistakes, which is exactly what they did Sunday against Minnesota. Sean, you and I have have kind of talked about this before. You know, it always seemed like the story of the Preds for the past three years was the Preds would dominate 95% of the game. And then in that 5%, they would just do something, you know, unholyly bad. I'm not even sure if that's an adjective, but we're going to go with it. You know, they would do something just like off the wall bad that would lead to a easy goal on the other end. And they would end up losing the game two to one or or three to two, despite dominating most of the game. And the reason is the other team capitalized on the Preds mistakes. Yeah. Sunday against Minnesota, the roles were reversed a little bit. You know, Minnesota had a lot of high quality chances against the Predators, but the Predators made them pay, uh, especially, you know, on the power play, they had two goals, uh, you know, Tanner Janot with that baseball goal off of a uh, turnover that led to a rush. That's what the Predators need to do. That is what made them such a dangerous team kind of in the mid 2000s was, you know, it was it was bend and not break. You'd have that good defense and then just some scrappy goal on the other end. That to me is what's going to turn this team around. I think so. And, you know, to, to add to that, as far as capitalizing on other teams' mistakes, it means you can't give the other team too many opportunities to capitalize on your own mistakes. And I think when we've, we've talked about that kind of slow, like, grind of a game that the team's trying to put out there, that heavier physical game that really just kind of drags things down and makes the other team earn every inch of ice they get, um, it it's really walking a tightrope. And if you go too far, you're going to fall off into now we're getting a lot of penalties called against us and uh, we've, we've got major problems. And I think that's, that's something that they really kind of fixed in my opinion after that. I don't remember which game it was, but there was a very heavy physical game. I remember that Harper had a couple of penalties. It may have been Winnipeg um, or it may have been the game before that, but either way, the fact of the matter is, They've got to make sure they're not giving the other team too many opportunities. No, I think in terms of just the overall big picture of the Preds, even if it's a situation where it's like two steps forward, one step back in terms of your game quality, that's still a step forward, like in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. You know, the Predators, I would say, you know, if if you can have two games in a row where each one is better than your last game, you know, even if you have an off night, you know, as long as you kind of, continue that trend of getting a little bit better, cleaning some things up here and there. That's what you want to see from the Predators. That's what's going to get them close to the playoffs. And I think especially when you have a roster full of young people, that's going to be good for their development. Yeah. Well, we are kind of running out of time here. We thank everybody who stayed 
up and listened to us. Sean, where can the good people find your work? So many places, Nick. Let me let me give you give you a uh, a menu here. Uh, first, go. of course, you can find my writing at onthefourcheck.com, um, where uh, whenever I am covering a game in person at Bridgestone, I will have a a morning after report um, to kind of recap some of the things I saw while I was at the game. Um, also, planning a couple of pieces coming up that I'm pretty excited about writing. Um, but we'll kind of see what happens with those. Of course, that depends on a lot of other extraneous factors. Uh, at the same time, um, on Twitter, of course, you can find me at SCSOTF. You can also find me on YouTube on Renegades of Puck TV. I'm also a with Alex Doherty of A to Z Sports on the On the Preds podcast, uh, which comes out every week except this week um, on Sunday. Uh, we didn't record this Sunday, but I'm thinking we'll be back next Sunday. So. Um, that too is available on YouTube at the A to Z Sports channel, um, or you can follow me or Alex Doherty or uh, A to Z Sports to get that sent out whenever there's a new episode as well. I can do it on separate podcast, just listening up all your accolades. Oof, sorry. No, you're good. Um, anyway, you can Nick. find my work in a lot fewer places than that. No, um, you can find me on onthefourcheck.com. Um, I also have a couple of pieces in the works that I'm excited to share. Uh, you can also listen to me every morning on Locked On Predators. It is a podcast you can find pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts: Spotify, Google, Apple. Uh, tune in, whatever you want. If you have a podcast service, we're probably on it. I do that with Ann Kimmel, one of our OTF colleagues. A lot of fun every morning. And, you know, if you want to talk about hockey, predators, or just life in general, find me on Twitter at underscore NSMorgan. Lots of good stuff going on there. Hey, before we go, you know, we've got to start saying this at the beginning of the podcast. All right. But because it's the end of the podcast and I don't have a time machine yet, Mm -hmm. um, well, if I did have a time machine in the future, wouldn't I have one? Either way, here's the thing. We've got to start telling the people to, to shout out to us on the Twitter so we can hear from the people that listen to this and let us know what they'd like to hear. Yes. I think it would, it would make me feel a lot better if, if I started to hear from people that were listening to this and they could kind of give me some tips on what they'd like me to do less of and also more of. For sure, yeah. And even if it's just a topic you want to hear us talk about, let us know. Yeah. If you've got a question, let us know. I'd love yeah, to answer any, your questions. Yeah, any feedback you can, let us know. Um, we we do this for you. This is something we just do for fun, so we are here to please you. Oh, and you know, the, the, the podcast has its own Twitter account, too. It it's does. It's kind of the, the, neglected, uh, the neglected member of the family, but... That's at four check pod. That would be a good one to follow. You could yell at us there. I'm going to give it a check while we're talking about it and see how many people have said anything. Let's see. Um, oh, no one. Yeah. Yeah, guys, come on. Say something on there. Well, maybe, maybe after hearing this. Yeah. People will go there. Shout um, at us. Anyway, that's going to do it for us today. On, on the 4Check Podcast. Uh, have a great day, everybody. Yeah.